Hello and a very warm welcome to you, my dear listener, to today's edition of New Life. Coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi, this is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. We have a great show lined up for you and I am your host, Monica Kamokwa. It's a joy to have you tuned in. Starting off the show for us today is Lydia Aching, who will be telling us more about helping troubled friends marriages in the family life segment. Then later on, Ian Muse will be joining us in the Bible segment to tell us more on to be born again. But that is after we get the song Glory to God by Masalio Echoes. Stay tuned. Oh, oh, oh. 
Welcome back, dear listener. That was Glory to God by Masalio Echoes. You're listening to the new live program coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Lydia Aching now joins us with more on helping troubled friends, marriages in the family life segment. Stay tuned and be on the know. Dear listener, welcome to today's Family Life program. I'm your presenter, Lydia Aching. Our day's topic is Helping Troubled Friends' Marriages. How much help should you give a friend whose marriage is in trouble? You don't want to give more time and energy than you can afford to give because you want to keep your own marriage healthy and strong. But you also don't want to give less either and not be a good Samaritan. God wants us to help each other. So how do you help your friend? In this message, We'll be giving advice that you can glean through with one caution. Be careful that a man ministers to male friends and a woman to female friends. Otherwise, boundary lines can get improperly blurred, leading to emotional ties forming. Even though you have never met, even though you never meant for or thought it could happen, causing other serious problems. It's important not to take a chance on jeopardizing your own marriage. The exception is a counselor or pastor situation, but even then, great caution needs to be used at all times because even in that kind of setting, improper emotional ties can form. We've seen it happen. It's heartbreaking when we see a situation in a friend's life that is painful. We want to help, but as humans, we can only do so much. We have to be wise in knowing what we can do and can't do, and when we're to say something and when we're not. God can help us with that. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit our wonderful counselor, so we can depend upon him to help us with our friends. Your friend may need for you to be someone to talk to, one who sympathizes and prays with and for him or her. Just your being there is helpful. Job, from the Bible, needed his friends to be that for him. But instead, they couldn't keep their mouths closed when they should have, and they ended up further complicating the situation. We also have to make sure our friends' problems don't swallow us up emotionally so that we don't have enough in reserve to be healthy in our own marriages. There are some people who are totally needy, to the point where we can give and give and give to them and have no energy left to go on, and yet they'll go on to the next person with their all-consuming neediness. With these types of people, you have to discern how much you can give and only give that much even though you want to give more. Jesus didn't let any one person dominate his time and energy. He portioned out what he knew was healthy to give. We all have the ability to reach out to God for that which human beings can't give to us. That includes our friends. They need the help of humans and God. God acknowledged that in the beginning when he was with Adam. He said, It is not good for man to be alone. What God saw was that man needed him and other human beings. We can be that for our friends, but we need to know what our job is and what is God's and how other people can help as well. There could be a lot behind the spouse's actions that our friends don't realize. 
That's why it would be good for your friend to become a student of marriage and of their own marital partner. Their spouse may need a human helpmate to inspire and encourage them to get the help they need. But on the other hand, the spouse may be completely narcissistic and abusive. There are some people who are that way. But tell your friend not to assume that's the case with their partner unless they've put the work in to discover if they're acting that way because they never learned any other way to act out emotionally. They could become different with help. If your friend has pursued becoming a student of marriage and their marital partner and there's no change in the spouse's ways, then your friend needs to find ways to protect her or himself from the abusiveness. You also need to know that your friend may not reach out for the help that would truly change things. It's complicated to explain, but there simply are some people who say they want help, yet they don't want to do what it takes to improve matters. You need to be aware of this so you don't spend too much energy trying to fix things when it's not fixable. In that case, you can just be their sympathetic friend, one who prays for them to open their eyes to embrace truth and help. Here are a few other things to consider when helping your friend, which comes from the book Torn Asunder, a great book on infidelity written by Dave Kader. Even if your friend's problem doesn't deal with infidelity, these edited principles can still apply. To those who offer support to friends, whether you are a licensed professional, a pastor, or simply a friend attempting to support a couple working through their reconciliation, the following suggestions are offered. Watch out for your own stuff. Most of us have beliefs, feelings, and experiences that prejudice us when we deal with other people's relationships. That's what I mean by stuff. Warning. Never will your own marriage be more vulnerable than when you're trying to help a couple in their recovery. You'll find yourself working through the same issues with your own spouse. The survival of your friend's marital relationship is not dependent upon you. In most cases, the couple you're working with chose to marry each other before you were in the picture. You didn't bring them together and you can't keep them together. You must set the couple free to pursue their own course. They must never be able to draw you into their relationship, a process called triangulation. If that happens, each will individually attempt to align you with his or her side. Remember, the infidelity was an inappropriate triangulation, and so is an attempt to overly involve yourself. Keep the two of them talking to each other. Don't maintain secrets that one party shares with you hoping to align you with his or her side. Remember, infidelity was the worst secret that could afflict a marriage, and more secrecy doesn't help. At times, your neutrality may appear brutal, especially since you're probably closer to one party than the other. You will feel the urge to intervene and provide protection, but you need to resist it. If you're feeling more exhausted in the struggle than they are, you are inappropriately involved. That is not to say that some of your time with them won't be exhausting, but you need to gauge your degree of involvement. You shouldn't work at it harder than they do. Something we can do for our friends is to tell them of the Marriage Missions website so they can read blogs and articles and watch videos that can help them. Their spouse may not be proactive in making their marriage the best it can be, but each of us needs to do our own part in doing what we can. It may eventually inspire the spouse to reach out for help also. Recommend this to your friend. We need to help one another. 
but it should never serve to replace that which God can do. This material is provided by Marriage Missions International. Until next time, God bless you. just joining us. This is the new live program with me, Monica Kamokwa, coming to you live from the Adventist World Radio, The Voice of Hope. You haven't missed a lot as you still have more coming up. Your feedback is always welcome and you can drop your comments, suggestions or questions through the producer Adventist World Radio, PO Box 42276 code 00100 Nairobi, Kenya or email us at awrnairobi at eku.adventist.org. Now that that is off the way, let's get the song. Nahuzunika by Masalio Echoes. You're listening to the new live program coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Don't change the channel.
My dear listener, thanks for choosing our station. We are because you are. Right about now, Ian Muse joins us for the Bible segment with more about to be born again. Be blessed. Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to our study today. The topic of our study is to be born again. I am a presenter, Ian Muse. Welcome. The Bible says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Hebrews 5, verse 9. Obedience is truly one of the spiritual requirements for entrance into the kingdom. John declared that there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Revelations chapter 21, verse 27. God does not only accept the atoning sacrifice of his son as a total satisfaction of the universal death sentence against every member of the fallen race. He imputes to each one who chooses to accept it the credit for living a life just as holy as Jesus lived. In other words, they are not only declared not guilty, they are declared to be just as righteous as the sinless Savior who lived here in the flesh for 33 years without committing a single sin. It is in this amazing manner that all degrees of transgression are cancelled, and whosoever will may stand without condemnation before God. His faith alone has opened a door to a new standing in relation to God. It is called justification, and it provides forgiveness for every wrongdoing of the past that has been repented of, confessed, and forsaken. And even though it can be said that the death of Jesus, in one sense, made a cooperate reconciliation of all men to God, it is only through personal acceptance of the sacrifice that anyone can experience justification by faith. Does the totality of salvation then consist of a mere accounting on the part of God? Is our part only to believe that God does everything for us and then wait for him to waft us on rose-tinted clouds into the kingdom of heaven? Indeed not. So far, we have described that part of righteousness by faith that flows from outside ourselves. It is called justification and it is based wholly upon the objective acts of God on our behalf. It is true that we cannot work for this imputed credit for being righteous. We can only accept the atoning merits of the blood of Jesus, which bears witness that somebody else paid the penalty for our sins. By exercising faith in this divine substitute who took our place in death, we acquire a certain standing of righteousness before God. But it is most necessary that we understand that God does not ascribe some legal fiction to us by calling us righteous when we really are not. Righteousness by faith includes more than just a standing or accounting. God not only imputes righteousness to us through justification to take care of our past sins, but he imparts righteousness to us through sanctification to keep us from future sins. In other words, there is a state of righteousness before God as well as a standing of being righteous. We'll have more to say about these two aspects of righteousness by faith as we move into the next chapter. Keep in mind, though, that whether imputed or imparted, all true righteousness originates with God and resides in us only as long as Christ abides in us through faith. That moment of acceptance not only brings an objective change of standing before God, but it also produces a fantastic subjective transformation in the heart and mind of the believer. Jesus referred to this dramatic experience as being born of the Spirit. 
the necessity of it was revealed in the urgent words of the master to Nicodemus. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3 verse 3. There is no possible way to analyze or diagnose the miraculous and often instantaneous change that accompanies this act of faith. The Apostle John seems to express it as simply as it can be communicated. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on this name. John chapter 1 verse 12 But even though we can't understand the misery, we can observe the results of it very clearly. Paul described it in these words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 Like a gentle brush of the invisible wind, God's Holy Spirit enters the life to replace the surrendered fleshy things with the exact opposite. Although the inherent fallen nature is not removed by the new birth, the carnal mind is replaced with a spiritual mind that has the power to subdue all the desires and passions that might arise from the fallen nature. It is this progressive work of conquering self and constantly submitting the will of Christ which leads us to the third giant step on our heavenly pilgrimage. We call it sanctification. The word loving distinguishes those acts of obedience from the legalistic forced conformity of those who might be trying to earn salvation by mere law-keeping. Some liberal-minded religionists equate obedience and legalism. They ignore the difference between heart service and head service. One is the very finest demonstration of true religion and the other shows forth the most dangerous counterfeit. Someone has just suggested that millions will miss heaven by just 18 inches, the distance from the head to the heart. Complying with God's law in order to fulfill a legal requirement for salvation is the head approach. But true heart obedience is the spontaneous outflow of a personal love relationship with Christ. When we talk about sanctification here, we are referring solely to the heart approach. Justification imputes the perfect victory of Jesus to cover our past sins, but sanctification imparts the victorious power of Jesus to preserve us from committing further sin. We can't have one without the other. Anyone who exercises the true faith is justified. All who are truly justified are converted or turned into a new creation, and all who have experienced a new birth will walk in obedience out of love. The cause effect is instantaneous and inseparable. There is no justification without sanctification and no sanctification without justification. Nevertheless, it is very important to keep in mind that justification, as the very first approach to God, is freely bestowed and is not granted in reference to our good works. This biblical principle requires that the believer receive the gift of justification before sanctified obedience is possible. Then the conformity to the law is recognized as the result of the born-again connection with the Savior. Sin, of course, is the only thing that defiles in God's sight, and it is specifically excluded from entering the gates of paradise. Sin is defined in the Bible as transgression of the law. This means there will be no thieves, murderers, adulterers, etc. in heaven. Should it frighten us to learn that willful sin must be put away in order to be saved? Incidentally, we are not saying here that the good works of obedience are the grounds for our acceptance by Jesus. 
but they are the necessary accompaniment of a freely bestowed gift to all who believe. Listener, none who have accepted that gift will be discouraged by the requirement to stop deliberately transgressing the revealed will of God. Converted hearts are eager to please the one they love supremely. They delight to walk in obedience because God's law has been written into their hearts and minds. May we then delight to meditate upon his precepts. Be blessed. Amen. Thank you, listener, for your time. I was your presenter, Ian Musi. Thank you for staying tuned throughout the show. It is always a pleasure to have you. Remember to send us your views, comments, or questions about the show through the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Email us at awrnairobi at eku.adventist.org. Oh,
Sim. 